0: Uh, is always practical, always uh, applicable, and certainly life-changing. Today is going to be particularly, though, um, I think, practical um, for anybody, whether we're completely committed to Christ, have been following him for our whole lives, uh, and we're all in on the Jesus plan, or maybe if we're even just considering the Jesus plan, and maybe if you're, you know, in that place where you're not quite sure what to make of all this stuff today, maybe it could be a very compelling or convincing argument, shall we say, for the applicability, the practicality of following um, Jesus. So as we get that started, though, I got to take a little quiz here just to find out where my audience is at, because where you're at in this particular issue um, may bear some relevance on whether or not you're going to apply what I'm going to talk about in today's message. Uh, so here's the question, who here has their lights down already? Raise your hand if you already have your Christmas lights, the tree, everything's boxed up, put away, labeled, and gone for good. All right, that's a good, a, a good fair number. Who here still has their Christmas lights up? Who here still, all right, well, I mean, I'm not a Scrooge, you know, I'm not a Grinner, like, oh, no, no. Um, Now, who here is going to have your Christmas lights up till Easter? Now, that's the admit, who here, raise your hand if you will, nobody's willing to admit. Somebody here will, but nobody will admit. There's always the family, it's like, it's Easter, the tree has to go. So, um, so that could say something about where you're at, and I personally am always, I mean I I kind of have rhythms I have systems you know it's how I organize my life it's what separates us from the animals I always say that don't know why but my systems are what make me a man so you know right after Thanksgiving the Christmas stuff comes up and right after New Year's the Christmas stuff goes down and it's not that I dislike Christmas love Christmas love the tree love the lights love all that but here's the other thing I love the new year I love a new year I love the opportunity for a fresh start, a new beginning. And a new year just provides that opportunity for me to make a clear cut from the past and a clear sort of point to move forward. I mean, here is me. I love my new journal every year. Like, oh, I just like oh it's like i mean is anybody else you love that kind of stuff like i love it it's so it's got you know it's got like just just like the pages are hardly marked up and they're just starting and i love that so i'm holding it like a child or something here um i love my day timer who else is a daytimer kind of person still all right, three of us still like this. I've tried the electronic. I do use my phone for stuff, but something about writing it down, putting the appointments, putting the names, making the lists. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, I do. I do. I feel like Will Ferrell and Elf. Like, I'm like, oh, I do. I love it so much. It just thrills me. The new. It, it, if you're that type of a person, I don't have to convince you about any of this message and what we're going to apply from god's word to our lives but maybe if you are the waiting until easter to bring down the christmas lights this is just going to be my encouragement to you um you can make some decision you can make some plans you can get organized for some wins in your life and we're going to talk about winning in today's service here um on christmas eve I I bragged about, I I should tell this story to to make sense of where we're about to go. On Christmas Eve, I actually bragged about my wife as having the the gift of giving gifts, an an innate ability to know what people want more than people know what they want. She just has that incredible ability. Well, moments after, within hours of making that public declaration, my wife gave to me the worst gift I've ever received in all of my life. She gave me, the first thing I opened up was a pack of reading glasses under... (laughs) the tree. I have never been so insulted in all of my life. Now, some of you are thinking you should really get out more than George, if that's the worst, but I considered this an affront to me, because I had laser eye surgery 15 years ago. In fact, as I look at Eden, I remember when I was telling her, she was five years old, and I was going in for laser eye surgery. She loved the show, The Powerpuff Girls, and she thought I was going to get laser eyes. She was very disappointed to know that I wasn't getting laser eyes. I was having lasers shot in my eyes to fix the, anyways. So, I, there's one thing perfect about me and it is my vision so i i don't need i mean i mean I, i'd throw them but i'm too frugal to throw them but i do not need reading glasses because i have perfect perfect 2020 vision oh oh yeah and no, no, i do i mean I, it's my doctor i'm not making my doctor tells me still i have 2020 perfect vision um we want to come into the new year with perfect vision with clarity of sight. Yeah, all that, all that to say, oh, all, all that, that was a big setup for a, not a big win there, but we are set up, so we want perfect vision, and um, we are going to talk about then getting clarity here on our, on our win. Now, now, Andy Stanley, the pastor, the, he's an author, uh, church planter, influencer, uh, um, he, he dealt with this very thoroughly, so I'm borrowing a lot of his materials, but he put, he put it this way, uh, which just for some reason just stuck with me. So I want to build off of that. Winning is better than not winning. Who here would agree that winning is better than not winning? All right. Now, now here's the, the issue that we face in life. Winning in regards to games or sports is very clear cut. The win in so many areas of life is very clear cut. We know where the finish line is. We know that at the, when the clock runs out, the team with the highest score is going to win. We know how the judges are going to score us. We, we, we know the win in games so easily, so clearly, so abundantly. However, life is not a game, right? Life is not a game, it, but defining the win then in life is not always as easy, but we can define for ourselves and according to god's word according to the life of christ as his example and some things that he tells us we can name for ourselves some wins out there on the horizon of this coming year and that's what we want to do now this is not about being competitive some people here you're gonna you, know, you already love this you already bought in because you are competitive people you make a competition out of everything you love ricky bobby from talladega Nights. your motto is if you ain't winning you're losing right i mean you're like that's me if you ain't winning some people you just you make a competition out of everything interestingly enough people think i'm very competitive because i'm very active i am actually personally very averse to competition I actually never played sports or things in, in school that put me in competition with others. I was always, gonna just twist that for a second, I was always competing with myself in skiing or skateboarding or rock climbing or biking, things like that. I was very averse to competition. Others in my family are not. My daughter who recently had shoulder surgery actually said this the other day. Well, my friend Sam had the same surgery in October and she got out of her sling in four weeks. I'm going to get out in three weeks. I was like, you're making a competition out of healing? I mean, you can't do that. You can't make a competition out of making your shoulder get better. She looks very dejected now. I'm sorry, honey. But, but some of you, you're like, yes, I, you, you, are, you are all in. So this isn't about being competitive against others. This is going to be about setting out some wins for you and in your life. And some of, of course, the most important areas of life because winning as andy stanley said is better than not winning (laughs) but what are the wins how do we clarify them how do we name them jesus gave us a great win in luke chapter 21 verse 19 i love the way he puts it so simply he says stand firm and you will win life stand firm and you will win life the ultimate goal for jesus for us is of course he wants us to win at life And he offers us life in himself. When we stand in Jesus, we put our faith, our hope, our trust, our lives in him. What we are told is that we are winning life. We're winning the forgiveness of our sins. We're winning the presence of his Holy Spirit abiding in us. We're winning an eternity with him that begins here and now by his presence with us. The promise of Christmas, he is with us. So in Jesus, we know that we win at life. Now, I'm going to go into some other verses of Jesus in a little bit about winning at faith. But the Apostle Paul, who writes so much then of our New Testament, the letters that go out to the church and to the Christians uh, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, Paul has an interesting uh, story. And and Paul, in many of his letters, in fact, I had numerous places where I could pick from, he, he actually leans off of these sports analogies. This, compet- this competition analogy um, and setting up the win. Uh, he, and he does this, of course, because he is the apostle to the Gentiles, or to how that makes sense here, if, if that's a confusing term for you. Jesus was born into the Jewish culture, into Israel, and the uh, disciples were of that culture, of that religious faith. Paul comes in a little bit later, and he's gonna be the one who's gonna take it out of that bubble and to the rest of the world and in the context of the rest of the world of the roman empire which is the context competition games winning was serious business they were always aware that there is always on the horizon of the coming year there's going to be these olympic games these competitions always a sort of looming over rome of course is this coliseum there's constant competitions that were literal life and death going on he's always picking up on this and but then turning it towards God and the run, the race that we run with Him. I'm gonna. So I want to uh, Philippians. I'm gonna read this passage here from Philippians. We're gonna pick up in verse ten. I'll read through verse ten. Then I'm gonna break it down a little bit to get a context on the principle of naming our goal, naming our win, and what it's gonna look like to chase after, go after that. Well, here's what he says, and this would be in regards to his win in life. I want to know Christ. It could end right there, right? You know, it's kind of like, amen, goodbye. I mean, like, I want to know Christ. He knows Christ. He knows of Christ. He wants more of Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, and here's what would press up against us, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So he has this goal, he has this win in life that he wants to know Christ, he wants to live a life like Christ. In fact, he even wants to die like Christ, sacrificially in service to others and to attain the promise of resurrection. And and then he kind of, it's almost as if he kind of has this pause, he says, well, maybe I should tease that out a little bit for, for my readers. So then he says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and this could be very significant for some of us, depending on our history, choices we've made in previous years, our past, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's win wasn't always to win people to Jesus Christ. Paul's win at the beginning of his career was to kill Jesus. It was quite literally to kill the Jesus movement. Paul wasn't there, well, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul, and he wasn't there as the events of Jesus' ministry, the three years of his intensive ministry before his death, burial, and resurrection, but he knew it was happening. And the thing about that was, everybody kind of thought the Jesus thing, this Jesus movement, the people following this Nazarene, they would always say, they thought it was going to die. Kill the man, kill the movement, right? But it didn't. After people started claiming the appearance of Jesus, interactions with Jesus, this commissioning from Jesus, and the movement actually gains momentum. More than it ever did during the life of Jesus, the movement begins to gain and bring more and more people in. And and Jesus' movements are popping up in pockets all over the world, their world, the context of their world. So Saul sets out to destroy it. He feels that is what he needs to do on behalf of the God he feels called to serve, that the best thing that he could do with his life, he truly believed this, and he did it zealously, the Bible says, he truly believed that his best offering, his best service to God was to kill the Jesus movement. And he literally killed people in the Jesus movement until he met Jesus. We won't unpack that whole story. But Paul has this painful past that impacts his life. So it puts context for a lot of us in wanting to put in the past what is in the past. Then some of us spent seasons of our lives going after the wrong thing. M- maybe not even the wrong thing, but now things that we would say are harmful, destructive. We chased after things that hurt others. We chased after things that hurt ourselves. We had the wrong wins in life. If that's you, <laughs> Paul's going to say i was right there with you and, and, and nobody was worse than me paul at numerous points is going to say he is the chief the greatest top of the, pie, the top of the stack amongst sinners amongst people who have messed up and who've made a mess of their lives and who've messed up other lives i mean he literally left a wake of destruction in his path until he met jesus he knew he wanted to press forward into the new wins, the new promise, the new goal that he had to know Christ and make him known and win others. Right before these verses then, he goes through this resume and he says if there is anybody who thought it was winning and thought they had the resume and thought they had the credentials, it was me. You know, I had the right birth. I had the right pedigree. I had the right connections. I had the right education. I thought I was doing everything. And then he says, but all of that, and he goes into extreme terms, which I won't unpack now, all of that was garbage. Refuse. Rubbage. and he was putting it in the past and he was moving forward with his wins for Jesus Christ and very clearly he says his win is to keep winning others the win of his life would be to keep winning others that they too would know Jesus and the salvation and the life and the hope and the peace and the assurance that he then had in Jesus Christ so we want to name what our wins are going to be in this coming year for Jesus. Let me just take a side step now. We're going to put this in real practical terms, and we'll swing back around and, and wrap this up. But what are some really practical ways that you can win in 2020 and in the years coming ahead? One of the best ways that we can win is to simply first, and this is going to appear in your notes now. So I hope you all got a program. If you didn't get a program, grab one of these on your way out. Use it for your own personal study or for reflection in your group this week. What are seven words that you will want to describe your life? Here is the good news. People are using words to describe your life right now behind your back. (laughs) Right now, your friends have words to describe you. Your spouse has words to describe you. Your children have words to describe you. I have words to describe you. Here's the bad news. You might not like all the words that people use to describe you. But you can prayerfully consider and reflect upon the words that you want people to use to describe your life. You get to pick them. Did you know you had that power? Did you know you have the power to say, if I want people to describe me as generous, I could live a generous life? I have this friend named Lisa. I guarantee you, at the end of Lisa's life, people are going to line up at her memorial service, and they are going to talk about her shoes. To know Lisa is to know she is. Somebody knows Lisa. Somebody the, uh, She's here. Oh, my goodness gracious, she's here. <laughs> All right. I was, uh, well, I can't tell the other half of that story, anyways. <laughs> well, awkward moments at Connections Church. Okay, my friend Lisa here, to know Lisa is, uh, kick your, what is on your feet right now, Lisa? So uh, we're gonna have some, I guarantee it's some beautiful, amazing, maybe they're Wonder Woman boots, or I don't know. But to know Lisa is to know her love of shoes, and she's going to be all decoratively laid out many years from now, Lisa, many years from now, and people are going to talk about her love of shoes, and they're going to laugh. And then they're going to talk about her love of theater, and then they're going to laugh. And then they're going to go deeper, and they're going to say, and you know what, and she, she loved those shoes because she was always ready for a party and a good time and wanted to look nice. And she was always there with a kind word. And they're going to talk about her adopting children and loving them as her own And raising them to know and love and serve Jesus. And that's all the beautiful things I was going to say about Lisa. And I intended to say that right from the very... You get to pick what people are going to say about you. My wife came home this past year with a shirt that said, In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Kindness is one of her words. She is striving to live a life such that people say about her, about her life... She was a kind woman. This past year, I had the joy, the honor of officiating um, Brant Brucksworth's memorial service. And in his passing, as I was meeting with the family, something became very, very clear to me. Abundantly clear within, I mean, within minutes of beginning to visit with the family. I didn't know Brant well, this side of heaven. I didn't get the opportunity to really get down close with him so i had to rely on others to tell stories and as soon as others began telling stories about brant's life many words many wonderful words came up but one word was repeated by i think every single person who knew him they talked about his patience they talked about how patient he was and as soon as they began talking about that patience it was like a light bulb went off in my head I never considered it in this way before. We always think about the love chapter and God is love and we love others and, you know, love God and love your neighbor and, you know, love, 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 love. How does Corinthians 13 first begin to then unpack love? Love is patient. He expressed his love through his patience. A godly patience for his family for his friends, for his neighbor, for his church. I tweaked my seven words after that memorial service, and I added patience to the list because I realized at that moment the impact that patience can have on the lives of the people around you in a world that is frantic and hurried and busy and doesn't have time or make the time for love. People knew his love through his patience. You get to pick the words that you want to describe your life. I would encourage you in the coming days or the weeks ahead to come up with your list of seven. Perhaps part of that, put this in the notes, you should also think about the words that are currently being used to describe your life, because you may not like all of them, but you can amend them you can put that in the past and you can leave that behind and you can decide how you want to be described, moving forward. I got a few minutes, I'll tell that Jeff. So, so in the words that Kai's gonna tell the story, so I'll come back around to tie. It. Jeff Bezos, he's the richest man in the world now. He um, read a little article about him. And interestingly enough, I don't know the man, of course, but people talk about him as being very nice and some other flowery things. So in this story, he, he tells about where that came from, that when he was very young, uh, he was on a trip with his grandparents. And his grandmother was a smoker at that time and was always trying to quit. Talks about her always trying to, trying to quit. He had heard then that every time you take a cigarette, you take two minutes off of your life. And he was a very smart kid, obviously, richest man in the world now. So he talks about a car trip where he's in the back and he's pondering things, things, and he begins to do some math. And then he blurts out from the back of the car. He says, Grandma, you have taken nine years off of your life because of smoking. And after a long silence, as you can imagine, she burst into tears. Later that day, his grandfather didn't chastise him, didn't spank him, didn't do anything like that. He just looked him in the eye, and he said, Jeff, you will learn in life, it is more difficult to be kind than clever. Learn how to be kind. Buy beautiful shoes. (laughs) Let people tell that story. But in addition to that, be kind, be patient, be, and you fill in the blank, how you want to be described, and aim your life towards that win." Now, moving into that, I want to take the last couple minutes of our message to encourage you to spend some time again in the coming days of the weeks to think about five key areas of life: what you want to name your win. What is going to be your win in your faith, in your finances, in your education or work, or in your health? Jesus gives us some great guidance on what our win in faith can be. We went through some of the gospel passages in Luke regarding the ministry and life of Jesus. So, let me just turn to that and read sort of this narrative flow of how Jesus begins to declare his win in faith. Moments after we read the birth stories of Jesus, we move into one random story that Luke provides about the childhood of Jesus. And this is what we read about that. Jesus sort of gets lost, he has his moments, the family is in a panic, and they go and they find him here. In the context of worship as it was played out in jesus's day and jesus says this so chapter 2 verse 49 i'll post all this stuff so you can get all this stuff later why were you searching for me he asked didn't you know i had to be in my father's house didn't you know i had to be in my father's house right at the beginning of his life we see that jesus's mission in faith the win in faith for him was going to be with his father And then when Jesus grows up and he starts his public ministry, he shares these words, which are actually the words of a prophet, Isaiah, from years before. And he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor jesus begins to define the wind for his life and for his mission and his ministry he is going to proclaim good news he is going to set captives free he is living us into the year of the lord's favor i'm going to just keep speeding through some things we get more clarity when a couple verses later when he says i must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god to the other towns also because that is why i was sent this isn't just for my town it is for all the world and then begin the wind for jesus begins to grow and expand. Then he says a bit later, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then in Luke 19 verse 10, we'll we'll end with this one, for the son of man, that is himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Next week, I'm going to go much more deeper into this topic, and will seek to name for us as a church community as a body of faith what it will look like for us to live into this mission of jesus what were the wins of jesus and how do we keep on winning that race winning that which jesus calls us to which is to simply win more on a more personal level though what are our wins going to be in some of our key relationships now Whenever Robin and I first got married, there was a story in her family that was sort of going the rounds. She had this Uncle Bert, and Uncle Bert was one of those, he's, he's a great guy. He, he shouldn't speak of him in past tense. He is, was, and is a great guy. Uncle Bert was one of those quiet types. And at some point, somebody noticed that Uncle Bert wasn't very Affection. He was not a PDA guy. PDA, public display. He was not even a public verbal display of affection. And at one point, they're like, it, it, like, I don't know how it eventually came out, but it, it was like, you know, do you ever even like say, you know, you love your wife anymore? And he kind of very in an Uncle Bert kind of way of just like, I told her I loved her on our wedding day, and if anything should change, I'll let her know. I mean, I mean, like, like, <laughs> that is crushing it in the marriage department. Now somehow. <laughs> somehow it worked for them and it has worked for them you know praise God for Uncle Bert he, he they probably don't even know what the internet is so they won't listen to his message it's all right um you, you know but Robin and I kind of decided I think we want more for our marriage <laughs> I, I think we want more so you know Robin and I at the outset we said you know what if, if we don't want to end up like so many other relationships I'm just going to speak about our marriage and our life in the context and you can kind of, you know, read these into the other ones that are going to kind of come up. Um, you know, we we need to live our lives differently if we want to end up in a different place with our marriage. Um, we looked at sort of the stats, we looked at some of the numbers and and we realized this, most people that their marriages don't work. Now, not everybody will marry. Not everybody will date. Everybody will be in relationships. So again, you can extrapolate this to the context of your life. But we said, you know, if most people divorce or separate or relationships, your most meaningful relationships don't work out because of God, sex, and money, we should make some different decisions about God, sex, and money. Now, you don't have to make the same decisions we made about God, sex, and money, but I would tell you that you need to make some decision about your win, about God, sex, and money. So we made the decision about God that we would always be part of a faith community together and would see ourselves as one with one another and one with Christ. The old three strands are stronger than two, that Christ would always be at the center of our relationship, and we would always be a part of a faith community. Now, you might be saying to yourselves right now, well, that's so conveniently easy for you as a pastor, and of course it's going to work out for you as a pastor, because we all know that all pastors' marriages and families work out. (laughs) Because every doctor that you know ...is in perfect health and hasn't dropped dead of a heart attack. And no lawyer that you've ever known has ever broken the law. And no financial investor that I've ever known has ever declared bankruptcy. I'm being facetious, you know that, right? There's no correlation. There's remarkably no correlation between being a pastor and being close with God... ...between being a financial advisor and making good financial decisions we knew we needed to make some decisions about faith and our walk with god above over before what would be our calling and work in regard to ministry so we made a commitment to simply always pursue faith and god together in our marriage we knew that people stepped in and went through life with terrible baggage around sex and sexuality Um, i won't go into detail on this for another sermon for another time But we were both raised in christian homes and we both wonderfully embraced the jesus plan in our lives and we stuck with the jesus plan but even as we looked upon sex and marriage we said things don't seem to be working out for a lot of people so we decided early on in our marriage we would learn about natural family planning now, that's weird, and that's bizarre, and we had to go to the Catholic Church even to learn what that's all about. So the, so the application here isn't that you have to do it like we did it, but what you have to do is make some decisions ahead of time on how you are going to express, be, live into, and especially in the context of marriage, sex and sexuality. And we did what we felt best and felt called to, to stay closest to the plan that Jesus put out for us. We knew that couples argue intensely about money. So we knew that we wanted to get on some Jesus plan with money. So we simply went on the 10-10-80 rule. We would always first give our first portion, our first fruits, the first 10% to God. We would seek to invest the next 10% for a future. And we would live off of the final 80 percent and not go into debt and praise be to god the only debt we carry is a mortgage and as of this past fall we're even living in our dream home but that's not for me to impose on you that is for me to say to you make some decisions especially in the context of your relationships what is going to be your win When Andy Stanley talked about winning, he gave this simple example. They decided early on in their marriage, their win was to always want to be together, which is beautiful. And I've now adopted that. Their win was to want to be together, to build into, live into, to discuss, to navigate, and to work on the relationship, such a degree that their win would be that they would always want to be together given the choice (laughs) of being apart not that you don't need alone time and have your hobbies and stuff but they would want to be together they made that their win for their their parenting as well robin and i our context for parenting has always been we wanted to raise children to know love and serve jesus christ to know we would teach them the stories hopefully then to fall in love to be in a relationship with jesus and then to serve to want to put their efforts their time their commitment their resource towards the growth of the kingdom of god we raised our kids to want to know love and serve jesus christ but beyond that we wanted to raise kids that would also want to be together and so anytime we're at this rub or at this place where things are getting difficult we simply bring ourselves back to what will it look like to navigate this situation this rough spot whatever it is that such at the end of it, our children will still want to be in relationship with us. Name your wins and aim your life for them. I'm going to cut short the rest of the message. The notes are there in your program. What are your wins in finances? What are your wins in your education or work? What will be your wins in health? What will be your wins in your faith? And we'll be coming back to next week. Because, my friends, here is the reality that Paul is pointing us towards in the context of what he is writing to the Philippians. That life is not a game. (laughs) But we still run the risk of losing and losing much. And the cost is much greater at losing in life. Our lives do not simply begin at birth and end with a memorial service where people hopefully say the words about us that we once said about us but the reality that he is pointing to is that the choices that we make in this life echo throughout eternity let me say that again the choices the wins the goals that we reach in this life or don't reach in this life can echo throughout all of eternity the cost is too great in this game of life do not set forth the wins that we want to achieve on behalf of God. So that's your takeaway this coming week as an individual, as a couple, as a family, or I would encourage you in the context of our groups, which are launching after our leaders training today. And the groups all kick off this coming week. Name your wins, then pray for, encourage, hold one another to account to reach those goals in life. Invite the band to come forward and get ready to take us out with some worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to begin our new year in your house, together as your people, praising your name, looking to your word, and naming our wins for your glory. Thank you so much, Jesus Christ, for winning life for us for winning life and offering it as a gift to us that we can stand now in faith in belief in trust in you and know that we have salvation and eternity here and now and forever and thank you so much for the example set forth by your word and by people like the apostle paul who ran a good race and won incredible victories and sent forth the gospel, this good news to all the world. May our win, like Paul, be to know you and to keep winning more for you. We'll talk more about that next week with you, God, as we gather again, but thank you again so much for the win of life that we have in you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.